Radio Free Santa Clarita presents The Talk of Santa Clarita A podcast about issues involving Santa Clarita and the surrounding valley With your host, Stephen Daniels Episode 171 Hollywood Executive and Screenwriter Charlie Vignola. And now, let's see what the talk of Santa Clarita is. And remember, this is for posterity, so be honest. Charlie Vignola, welcome to the Dan- talk of Santa Clarita. Al Fresco. <laughs> Stephen Daniels, thank you so much for having me out here. This is a pleasure. Uh, I've had you on before. You were, you were actually one of our... Um, Early guests. All right, I think you. I think you were like uh, our fourth guest. Somewhere in the top five, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And we talked. Uh, we talked politics most of the time. Yes. Uh, but uh, but I, I, I. Here's the truth. Here's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the industry, the Hollywood industry, and that's why I'm having uh, you course. on the show today. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, because you know. I've known you, what, five years now, at least? Oh, longer than that, Stephen. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah. Long time. But I I find uh, it's almost like uh, an unspoken thing with you. It's like, uh, uh, you know, don't bring it up too much because, you you know, it's almost like you don't want to people to know too much about your business, uh, you know, what you do. Which I think, you know. I I guess in a way, I I don't always like it it to define me. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's what I do for a living. Yeah. But it's, you know, uh, some people just do nothing but talk about their job. Yeah. And that gets to be a bore. Yeah. And so I like to get to know people for who they are. And then if they ask, I'll tell them. But it's I don't lead with that necessarily. Yeah. You know, you so. Don't, you don't name drop where you no, know who you know. I've, right. I've never found that to be like a, you know, just good etiquette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I try to be polite. It's, uh, uh, yeah. Well, let's, let's. Tell the audience what, what is your position. What is uh, I uh, for over thirty years? I worked in development for Jerry Bruckheimer Films. Okay, yes. and, and Bruckheimer, one of the biggest producers in the world. Arguably, the the single biggest producer in the world, who's not something else like a producer Marvel. director or yeah. a producer writer, or you know, there are people who are who are just purely producers. He would fall into that category. Like Spielberg produces, but he also directs. directs and, yeah. and then people like uh, Kevin Feige, who produces. Know, the the Marvel movies, right. um, you know, but Jerry is um, he used to be part of a team. Don Simpson. It used to be Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer Films. Don passed away in the mid '90s, yeah. and then from that point on, it became Jerry Bruckheimer Films, and Jerry single-handedly uh, became one of the most uh, financially successful uh, producers in Hollywood history. Yeah, yeah it, let's go down the list. There's Armageddon. Uh, uh, Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor, uh, Con Air, which has got one of my favorite lines of all time in it. Uh, if you start early on, it's Flashdance, Top Flash, Gun, that's right, Beverly Flash Hills Dance, Cop. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. you get into the 1990s, and you know you've got uh, you know movies that are smaller movies like Coyote Ugly that people might remember. Yeah. Uh, but then we get into the bigger films, like you said, Armageddon. Yeah. There's Black Hawk Down. There's uh, 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 the Pirates of the Caribbean. The Pirates of the Caribbean saga, yeah. all, all five movies. Uh, you're, up develop- to, you're up to five now, really. Wow. Five, five done so far. They're working on a new one right wow. now. Hush, wow. hush. Uh, the National Treasure films. Yeah. 
the Bad Boys uh, uh, <laughs> saga. Three of them, you know, going into a fourth movie. Um, uh, working on sequels to Beverly Hills Cop now, as well as uh, Top Gun Maverick, which will be out in uh, uh, the winter, like right around Christmas time. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of big movies, not to mention TV, like little TV shows like CSI. Now were you, yeah, yeah, little things. Now, anyway. I mean, you were uh, were you, you the director of development or? I was director of development. Uh, I started out. Um, this, I tell this story to my kids because it's like an example of yeah. sometimes what you have to do to break into the business. Yeah. So I, 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 I went to University of Miami uh, back in the late 80s and mm -hmm. I wanted to work in film. Yeah. I didn't know what they were going to let me do so I kind of studied everything. A right. directing, a little writing, a little producing, acting, I, I don't know. So then I moved out to California and I was, uh, you know, no real connections. I didn't know how I was going to break in. Mm -hmm. uh, and I came out with a friend who went to Northwestern. Mm -hmm. So through him, I met a bunch of his friends who have also since gone on to the some, some pretty big thing. No, this is something completely different. Oh, okay. This is this is well, actually. All right, let me back up a little bit. At the University of Miami, mm -hmm. um, a movie had come out in the last two years that I was there called The Monster Squad. Yeah, now this was. This was not a successful film at the time it came out in 1987. This was post Goonies. It yeah. was kind of like Goonies with the Universal Monsters. Yeah. And the uh, the team that wrote it were Fred Decker and a little writer named Shane Black, who mm. went on to create the Lethal Weapon franchise right. and became one of the biggest screenwriters in Hollywood. But this was before all that. He wrote Monster Squad. So. I, I thought it was fun, yeah. and I was like, uh, and I read a little bit about the director, and he was a young guy, like a really young guy, mm -hmm. and I was like, I wonder if there's any chance that I could get him to maybe come to my school, and we could screen the movie, and he could talk about the movie, right. but this is pre-internet, yeah. so I had no idea how to get in contact with agents or managers or sure. lawyers, and I don't, I don't frankly remember how I did it, but mm -hmm. somehow, through perseverance and a little bit of luck, I was able to find who represented Fred, mm. uh, called his agent, somehow managed to convince him to come to the school, and then <laughs> you know he came for a weekend uh, to screen the movie and talk about the movie. And I'll never forget that, like on the night we were supposed to show the movie, right? He was uh, saying, "So you guys have an anamorphic lens, right, for the for the projector?" <laughs> And we're like, what do you mean? It's like, well, the movie shot anamorphically, so if you shoot, if you project the movie, yeah. it's going to be squeezed if you don't have the anamorphic lens to right. widen it into this widescreen format. Yeah. So we, we ran all over campus, all over Miami, to try to find an anamorphic lens for the camera. Right. And we succeeded in doing it. And the screening went great. Fred couldn't have been nicer. It was terrific. So after we had this nice weekend together, you know, he said, yeah, listen, kid, if you're ever in Hollywood, if you're ever in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. get in contact with me. So, yes, cut to the summer of 1988. I, I moved to California with my friend, drove cross country. Uh, we settled in North Hollywood because that's all we could afford. Yeah. And um, he was lucky enough to have a job in uh, like the mailroom at an agency. That's what he wanted to do is be an agent. I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I started to find out that there was an entry-level position called a uh, script reader or a story analyst. Right. And really yeah. what it was was you get to read a lot of bad scripts because they're mostly bad scripts. Mm. You get to write up uh, basically a book report for um, studio executives. Right. So there's like, it starts out with a log line, which is basically the one or two liner that describes the story. Like Back to the Future mm. would be... You know, a, 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 a kid from the 1980s accident, accidentally gets transported back to the 1950s where he breaks up his parents and has to play Cyrano to get them back together again right. and, and save his own future, something like that. 
But um, so uh, anyway, I, I, the very first thing I did was there was an ad in the back of one of these like backstage, you know, like, like, like these trades, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah for a company looking for readers. Now, I didn't know at the time that this was like kind of like a fly-by-night disreputable mm -hmm. company. But nonetheless, I was like, all right, I'll try to do a little bit of this kind of stuff. And I did. And then um, I got a job, like a full-time job, for a temp service that was placing people with Disney, MGM, uh, Columbia. Yeah. And so through that job, I actually met a lot of the people who were starting to get positions uh, as assistants mm -hmm. to executives at the studios. Yeah. One of the guys I was friendly with happened to get a job at Don Simpson Jerry Bruckheimer Films as the assistant to the head of mm -hmm. development at the company. Yeah. So because he was somebody who was a friend and I knew him, I was like, um, hey, are they interested in hiring any readers at the company? And sure enough, he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, they are. Complete sheer luck coincidence that yeah. they're looking for somebody. He's yeah. like, I'll, I'll set you up uh, on a meeting yeah. with my boss. So I went in to talk to the guy, mm -hmm. had a perfectly nice conversation. We talked about you know, the movies we liked, the sensibilities we had. And he's like, well, let me give you a screenplay that you can read, you know, a couple of screenplays to read over the weekend. You can write coverage on them. I'm like, oh, give me as many as you want. <laughs> Gave you fifty. He gave, well, he gave me six scripts. <laughs> really? I remember on a, like a Thursday or Friday night, oh, right? So come Sunday morning, I'm like, I probably should start reading these screenplays and write them up if I'm going to hand them yeah. in tomorrow. Yeah. And I didn't know what coverage really looked like. I didn't oh, know what no. industry coverage. I bluffed my way into this, so yeah. I had no idea what the actual format was. Right. So I called all my friends around town and said, "What's coverage? Can you send me coverage? Show me what coverage looks like." Mm -hmm. And uh, they faxed me samples of studio mm -hmm. coverage. So I'm like, okay, I think I can follow this. So it was like, there's a log line, which is a one-liner of what the movie's about. There's a synopsis, which is like a page, page mm -hmm. and a half that breaks down the entire story, more or less beat by beat. Yeah. And then there's a, um, I'm sorry, after the log line, there's something called the comment summary, mm -hmm. which is like a couple of lines that be briefly give you a sense of, should you pay attention to this or not? Was it a good writing sample or was it not? Mm -hmm. And then the last thing after the synopsis is the full comments, where you right. write like a page, page and a half, yeah. where you're kind of analyzing, does the script work? If it's a comedy, is it funny? If it's a thriller, is it thrilling? Are the characters any good? How is the dialogue? Are there like logicals? Like, is it is it worth you reading? Right. 99 times out of 100, probably more than that, it is not worth reading. You know, this is an industry that has literally tens of thousands of screenplays that are probably written why, and submitted every year. Why is it though that there's so many bad screenplays from agent that come from agents and, 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 and everything like that, you know, because I've done the reading thing too, you yeah. know, and, and I, you know, to me, I always kind of shook my head going, how does this person have an agent? You know, I, I would read a script uh, like it was Die Hard on a, on a blimp, Yeah. you know, and I'm like, this person has an agent Yeah. and they actually are sending this out saying this is something worth producing. Well, what does it tell you about the people who don't get an agent? You know, if, okay. if the people who have agents, yeah. uh, here's, I, I, when I was, when you read, yeah. um, a lot of, and this is my personal philosophy, a lot of people screw up out of the gate, yeah. which is they pick an idea that's not particularly a great movie idea. You yeah. know, maybe it's an okay idea. Yeah. And maybe their execution of it is decent. Mm -hmm. You know, it's serviceable. It might not be miserable, but it's like if you're if you have okay execution of a middling idea, nobody's Nothing. interested in that yeah. because at the end of the day, that screenplay has to support 
tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars worth of studio investment, right? It's right. very hard to get to that level. So one of the most important things out of gate is you better pick the right idea. If you pick the wrong idea, it doesn't actually matter how great the execution is. I will say, if, if you send in a screenplay with a bad idea but the execution is great, it might be an okay writing sample for you. Maybe it'll get you in the mix for a rewrite of something else. Right. But if your goal is to sell the material, which presumably after writing for several months, yeah. you'd like to try to sell the script. Right. If your idea is not dynamite, mm -hmm. I'm not even paying attention to your idea when you're sending me a query letter, if you're talking to me about what the idea is. If that idea doesn't off the bat excite me, mm -hmm. then my mind is just going to, eh, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it, it, and then if I read it, it's like, eh. For you, or in general, does it, or for Jerry, does it have to be a high concept, you know, and by high concept, I'm, uh, to define to the audience, is something that, you know, like, uh, Ghostbusters, guys go after ghosts. Yeah. It's a comedy. You know it's, a, I mean? it's a novel idea. It's, yeah. a, it's a fresh novel just, idea just, that when you hear it, yeah. you're like, I'm surprised nobody ever came up with that idea yeah. before. That's a cool and, idea. And, 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 and simple to explain, really yeah. quick and fast. Right. Do you find that it has to be high concept? To, to really appeal to somebody like Jay Bruckheimer or even yourself? or It, 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 it better be close. Because the thing is, yeah. if I'm, I'm talking to Jerry and like everybody in the business, they've got a million things on their mind. Yeah. You know, they're literally like they're spinning so many plates mm -hmm. that you only get a second to talk to them about something. So yeah. it's like if, you're, if it's taking too long to try to describe what the idea is, mm -hmm. or if you're just describing the idea and the idea sounds middle of the road or right. banal or kind of flat or plain, that's not going to grab them. That's not going to excite them. But if it's an idea that immediately off the bat is intriguing, is compelling, is funny, is like dynamic, is something mm -hmm. that like is a twist and something that you've heard of before, but not that way, then it's like, oh, that's really cool. And, you know, hopefully the execution is at least decent. You know, it's yeah. like if the idea is terrific, right. you can get away with like decent execution. Obviously, you always want to have the best execution that you're capable of of generating mm -hmm. for anything you do, right? Right, sure. Um, but like I said, if you have a middling idea and terrific execution, you're probably not going to sell the script, but you might get you know that to work as a writing sample. Mm -hmm. If you have a dynamic idea and your execution is middling, they could buy it and then have you do a draft or something and then hire bigger writers to execute the great idea. Because the great idea will always be there through every yeah. single draft. When I was at Donner, Schuler Donner, I would see them having scripts that would be on their... 50th draft and maybe the 10th writer or whatever because the idea was strong enough yeah. that they there was like well, we've got to keep working with this because the idea is there yeah you know, it's just they couldn't quite find uh, get a grip on on the, like I, I i don't even remember i think it was the treasure sierra madre madre in space right you know that that's right, right. there you say that and you go that's kind of interesting right there it's you know the idea high concept idea high, yeah high uh -huh. concept idea but they would it would sit there and they would just you know, keep working on because the idea was strong enough by itself. Yeah, like for instance, one of the first screenplays I read when I started working for Jerry mm -hmm. was an early draft of Forrest Gump. Oh, really? But it was not the version of the movie that got made. Mm -hmm. It was an early draft by a screenwriter who ultimately didn't get credit on the movie. And that version of the script was still interesting, was mm -hmm. still fascinating. Again, the basic idea was the same, which yeah. was a kind of slow-witted guy who lived through all these like major events of the 20th century mm -hmm. and kind of stumbled into history. That was the same. Mm -hmm. It was just different events, you know, uh, but, but it was the same basic idea. And I remember at the time, like the, my comment summary was something along the lines of like, this is like a cross between the world according to Garb and being there. 
And that's kind of what yeah, it is. I see that, yeah. That's kind of what it is. And it was, I loved it. I loved the script. Yeah. Years later, the movie got made and became one of the biggest movies of all time, mm. won all the Oscars, and I was like, not a surprise. Because right. like, that, that was a great idea in one way or another. And it, by the way, it took a million years to oh, get that movie made. Over 10 years made. of development, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is not dissimilar to how a lot of things get yeah. made. Um, yeah. You know, any overnight success in Hollywood is seven to ten years. Yeah. It's just the way it works. You only see the end product. Right. You don't see all the sweat and labor and mistakes that the, went into it before the, that. The story that you know everybody knows about Quentin Tarantino working in a video store. It's like they don't know that he also had already sold two scripts, mm -hmm. and you know Harvey uh, Keitel had seen the script for uh, for uh, Reservoir Dogs and got him got him into the Sundance program. Mm -hmm. So like there's all these other layers, but it just sounds great to have this. You know, he came out of a video store and. Yeah, you know that was his film school, and I, I worked at a video store when I was 16, 17 yeah. years old too, and that's how you you watched yeah. a lot of movies, you know, because yeah. you could, and you learn. When you let's, I, I wanna, I'm curious about like, because one thing about Jerry Bruckheimer is he's got this taste, uh, I mean, style particularly for like I named Con Air and The Rock and mm -hmm. Armageddon and stuff like that. Big shit blows up, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, the best way to put it, but I mean, how much of what we see on the screen from a Bruckheimer film is Jerry versus the director. Uh, it's Jerry's story sensibilities, mm -hmm. character and story sensibilities, and then Jerry picks the director, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because he's a producer. That's what producers do. Mm -hmm. So Jerry is kind of like uh, putting together the team to make the, f the film. Right? The way he wants it, though. Yeah. In other words, it starts, and I, I was talking to my daughter about this the other day, who's, you know, studying film at Emerson. She... Um, I tried to explain that, what does a producer do? A producer, at least the Jerry Bruckheimer version of a producer, you start out by trying to find a great movie idea. Right. <laughs> the, first, the, the, the seed of everything is you need a great movie idea. Right. Once you have the great movie idea, then you have to hire a great writer to execute that idea. Mm -hmm. And write draft after draft, however many drafts it takes to finally you know, get a version of that idea in screenplay form mm -hmm. that's so strong, so compelling, so entertaining that you can convince the studio that you're affiliated with that this is worth spending 50, 100, 200 million dollars on. That's a high bar to clear. Mm -hmm. That's why it takes so long to get a screenplay to that level and why it takes many, many writers sometimes right. to get it there. Sometimes it doesn't, but most of the time it takes more than the original writer. Um, once the studio says, yeah, that that's a great script. Okay, we'll turn on the money spigot now so you can start making offers to directors, to actors, right? So usually the first thing you do is you've got to get a director. Mm -hmm. So now Jerry has to go and look at director's reels and look at movies and see, like, who are the people out there that are really interesting, visually dynamic, you know, who, who can make a movie look terrific. Michael Bay was a video director, you know, before he started directing features. And Jerry gave him his first shot mm -hmm. on Bad Boys, and yeah. he and Michael Bay became one of the biggest directors and, and in the business. While it's arguable about the quality of Michael Bay films, it, 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 I it's difficult to, to not say that his films are visually exciting. Visually exciting and yeah. financially successful. Yeah, exactly. Like like the bottom the bottom line of film is it's a business, mm -hmm. right? It's like not not every movie that makes tons of money is a good movie. Yeah. But Hollywood is about making movies that make money, which yeah. is why if a you know Die Hard is successful, they'll clone Die Hard, or you know Harry Potter is successful, they'll clone that because you don't want to have to reinvent the wheel every time out. That's why sequels 
are so you know compelling. That's why the Marvel movies are such a relief to Disney. Yeah. Because they're all part. You know, you, you don't. Nobody knew who Captain Marvel was, Brie Larson. But like you've yeah. seen enough Marvel movies at that point you trade, that you that movie made a billion dollars. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. do, do you do you feel that? Um, the way people read screenplays and, and what's expected from them have changed in the past. It seems to me like the nature of the industry itself has changed in the past 20 years. Well, uh, cer certainly the way that people receive their entertainment has changed dramatically. Well, let me give you an example. It's like um, you brought up Back to the Future. Yes. Okay. And Back to the Future to me is one of the great scripts. You know, it, it builds, it sets everything up. Almost perfect. It's it, a clockwork screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And everything's set up in the first 20 pages. It all pays off at yep. the end and at certain levels. Uh, but the way it seems today, like Back to the Future, the way it's written now, would not get read enough. Or, or, or would people would say it takes too long to establish him going back in time. Like that needs to start on page six as opposed to page 25, which I think it does. I mean, attention spans have certainly shortened over yeah. time. And frankly, you know, one of the reasons why they've shortened over time was because sort of the quick cut aesthetic mm -hmm. that developed after MTV became so right. popular, like music videos yeah. influenced movies and then movies became more quick cut. Um, you know, if you look at like a lot of Netflix films, mm -hmm. um, Almost every one of their sort of like romantic comedies are about 90 minutes long. Yeah. And really, after you get rid of commer like uh, commercials, credits at the end, yeah. it's like 85 minutes yeah. long. So they're, they're shorter. Um, I'd like to think Back to the Future, even if it came in now as a screenplay, if you read it, would be like, okay, this is still like amazing. But I think to. in general sense, yeah. you're right that you know, people want to get you know, cut to the chase a little bit more quickly. Mm -hmm. in, in a general sense, that's yeah. probably true, yes. Well, it just seems like... Uh, more and more you see the scripts or the stories being produced with the, like it, it starts right in the middle of the, of the finale and then it starts go, <laughs> and then flip, it flips back to a flashback of here's how I got here. That happens sometimes you, you know, for sure. I mean, it, seems, yeah. it seems more and more like a trend. Yeah. You know, so. uh -huh. Do you think, uh, does someone have to have an agent now to sell a screenplay? It certainly helps. I mean, an agent, a lawyer, or a manager, mm -hmm. or a, a friend at a production company, yeah. um, when I was first, uh, before I had any manager or agent, because um, in addition to developing material, I'm also a you know, professional screenwriter. Yeah, when we're talking um, about that. But, but before I was able to sort of really get my foot in the door, mm -hmm. um, I was lucky enough, because I was working for Jerry, mm -hmm. that when I wrote my very first, uh, it was a treatment for like an adaptation of Frankenstein right around the early 1990s after Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Right. And the only reason that happened, and this is another case of serendipity, is I, I ran into a friend of a friend at the Beverly Center on the escalators, mm -hmm. and I was like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I just got a new job working at uh, Columbia for Anton First, who was like a legendary production designer who did like the Michael Keaton Batman. Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Well, he got a production deal at uh, Columbia Sony. And he was looking for new material. And again, Dracula had just come out. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, I have this idea for a new version of Frankenstein. Oh, great. Sounds great. Send it over. Like, well, I hadn't written it yet, you know. So <laughs> that weekend, to strike while the iron's hot, I wrote up like a 10-page treatment for what I wanted to do. Right. I want to say I didn't even read the book Frankenstein. I read the Cliff Notes. Mm -hmm. But essentially, I, created, <laughs> I, I creatively came up with like a new way to do it that was kind of interesting. And because I worked at Bruckheimer and uh, my boss knew agents, and that was the way I found 
somebody to do the deal for me. Right. And I'll remember, yeah, here's, here's a little bit of dirt. So um, one of the people she, she uh, hooked me up to, to talk to was a top agent at UTA, I think, at the time. Okay. I, won't, I won't say his name, but I'll use his initials, Jay-Z. Okay. And I called Jay-Z, and I said, hey, listen, I actually have a production company that wants to buy this treatment. I need somebody to do the deal. Yeah. And his attitude was, uh, I don't know, you know, let me, uh, uh, I'm gonna th I'll think about it, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. Very indifferent, very flat, mm. like, okay. And then she gave me the names of other people. Mm. Well, I called somebody else. And that somebody else was more interested in representing me right away. So I went with that person. Yeah. And I then called back Jay-Z and I said, you know, left a message, said, hey, you know, thank you for your consideration, but I actually found somebody else that I'd rather go with. And within like a couple of minutes, call back and say, who the hell do you think you are, you Rupert Pupkin? You're going to be lucky to be selling shoes in this business. Like the most cartoon over the top cliche really? of like this angry agent who, because I wasn't willing to wait around for him to deign to talk to me when he was ready and I went somewhere else, just went off this crazy expletive filled rant. It was just like, who the hell does this guy think he is? Now, funny story, later on, um, uh, his wife cuckled and cuckled at him by sleeping with another agent at another agency. So I guess karma came back and screwed him. But <laughs> I, hate, I hate to sound mean spirited that way. But you know, it was an early example of sort of like, yeah. you know, the business has some decent people, nice people, and the business has some real jerks. And this was an example of a guy who was a real jerk, and like I decided not to go with him. I went it, with somebody else. But the nature of the business itself, I mean, it seems like in the '90s you had. Uh, uh, Joe Joe um, wrote uh, <laughs> blinking on the Sharon Stone flick. Oh, uh, Joe Astorhaus, who wrote Astorhaus. Basic uh, yeah, thank Instinct, you. right? Thank you. Yeah, mm -hmm. blanking on it's blanking on his name, but right. but he was selling specs almost uh, like before he even have typed the end. You know, like yeah. people were so hot for the script, right? It didn't matter. But now it seems like there's a bit of change in the industry to where you almost have to have a YouTube uh, following. Or a, a brand that's already established an audience. Right, it helps. You right. Know? Yeah, yeah. It's a but much, I mean, it's much it's, different it, than the 1990s. I mean, like, how often does somebody buy a spec script these days without anything attached to it? Not as often as, as it used to. Like, like the glory days of the spec market was like the late 80s, early 90s, where right. it seemed like practically every other week you were reading about somebody selling a million dollar spec script. Yeah. Uh, a friend of a friend, one of my good friends is Carlos Cotto, who is a. Um, uh, exec producer writer on nine one one on Fox. Right. His brother Manny, when we were still in college in the late eighties, was one of the writers who sold a million dollar spec screenplay. Wow. One of the first ones. It was a screenplay that he wrote with his writing partner Brian Helgeland, who went on later to win an Brian Helgeland, writing yeah, yeah, confidential. Yeah. And at the time, they had written a screenplay called The Ticking Man, which was a high-concept idea about a human nuclear bomb. Basically, sort of like a, it was a nuclear bomb built into the shape of someone who looked human. And somewhere out there walking around is a guy who's a walking nuclear bomb. And it's a great idea. Uh, it never got made. But it kind of got developed for a number of years, but it kicked off Brian and Manny's career. Yeah, and, I would um, read that. I mean, yeah. the, the concept alone makes me curious about. Me yeah, it was it. a really, it was a really cool, really fun idea, and certainly for the time, it would have been like a great, um, a great idea. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, that was the golden era 
where a lot of things were selling for like a lot of money. And um, that's when, uh, after Lethal Weapon, yeah. Shane Black had sold uh, uh, The Last Boy Scout for like a huge chunk of change and sort of like after creating the franchise of Lethal Weapon, firmly established him as, uh, you know, one of the biggest screenwriters. Yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty good friends with him, aren't you? I'm good friends with Shane, and um, and he's gone on to be a writer-director who's been, you know, wildly successful. Uh, did Iron Man 3. Uh, uh, he uh, did uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss, Kiss, Bang he yeah. did uh, The Nice Guys, you know, in, incredibly fun movie. Like like Tarantino, he was somebody who started out as a writer and mm-hmm. has, has since become a writer-director and has, has done great work. Yeah, he spent... Uh, I, the myth, though, at least about Shane Black was for years... After he's he made all that money off the Lethal Weapon series, was he just decided to do, like, I mean, the story was at least that it was like I am just going to have parties every night in Hollywood, you know? I mean, that that I it mean, was I'm, just, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's different than most. Yeah. You know, <laughs> most stars, most producers, yeah. most uh, uh, you know, uh, big people in the business throw big crazy yeah. parties because that's something that you can do when you're at that level. I certainly would throw Gatsby parties if I was making <laughs> that kind of money. But, um, but no, he always, uh, again, he was, he was a young writer, like, mm. you know, right out of UCLA. Yeah. Uh, and you, as you were mentioning, the Pad of Guys, for yeah. those of you who don't know, the Pad of Guys was a group of young writers that were all friends that kind of came out of UCLA, and they included people like David Silverman, who went on to work for The Simpsons, helped create The Simpsons, right. and uh, Fred Decker, who uh, you know wrote and directed uh, uh, Monster Squad, Squad and Robocop, Robocop yeah. three. Um, uh, 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 Jim Alls, who went on to write Fight Club, um, uh, just like a ton. Of, mm-hmm. It was you know like the is it diaspora? Just like a, a group of like young writers who went on to like great great success. Right. And Shane was kind of like at the forefront because he was like in his like mid to late 20s mm. when he wrote Lethal Weapon. I can't even imagine like that kind of success. It's like, yeah, a franchise. Yeah. yeah, they turned it into a TV series on Fox. Yeah. You know, uh, not that long ago. So it's been like a huge resilient uh, franchise and it helped make Mel Gibson into a superstar. That's another thing that was like, you know, huge about that movie. But the, um, the, the, now it's it's like a YouTube thing of uh, or you know creating content showing that you can do it yeah before even like I mean it seems like I mean, it, is it a situation now where you almost have to have a YouTube following to even get a meeting kind of situation or well again it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt I mean I mean any way you can draw attention to yourself mm-hmm. as a as a creator of content yeah okay. is, is well, helpful and and um, you know, uh, as I mentioned, my daughter who goes to Emerson, uh, for the first time ever, she had an assignment in class where she had to create a movie. Mm-hmm. And she had a team of people that were assigned to do it with her. And, you know, some of those people didn't, you know, rise to the occasion. She, she wound up having to do it all uh, yeah. almost by herself. And But she learned everything as a result of it because we live in an era where you have like a 2K or a 4K camera with great sound in your pocket yeah. that you could also edit on. Mm-hmm. And so she was able to, within a week, you know, write a screenplay, you know, cast the movie, produce the film, shoot it herself, direct it herself, edit it herself. And, and you, anybody can do this. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it, the better you're going to get. Right. And if you get better and better and better and you post your material on, you know, social media or YouTube and eventually if it's good enough somebody's going to notice and somebody right. is going to tap you and maybe that's how you get representation or maybe that helps you draw attention to a project that you're trying to pitch but like 
if you're asking like do you have to do more of the early kind of promotion of yourself yeah it doesn't hurt yeah. it, it, it absolutely can help yes what do you think the state of independent film is these days i mean because for again in the 90s yeah it was a time where i mean like the 80s i call the 80s the film school age yeah you know where, where they are the 70s too where they were pulling kid you know kids right out of film school and giving them a chance to direct right. know, feature films uh, the 90s, I would say, was more the indie, the time of the indie film. You know, Robert uh, Rodriguez and Tarantino, Tarantino, and Kevin and all Smith. Those guys. Yeah, yeah. All, all of them came out yeah. of doing these low-budget films, uh, uh, pretty much on their own. I, I think and, I think independent filmmaking has always been difficult because yeah. it's about finding the money. Yeah. We still have filmmakers like you know Sean Baker who did the Florida Project, which, yeah. is, which is an amazing film. Somehow not. You know, nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, you know, Barry Jenkins. You know, who who started out at Ryan Coogler. You mm -hmm. know, did Fruitvale Station, a little like micro-budget film, before he got tapped to do Black, Black Panther. Panther yeah. You know, which is like one of the biggest movies of all time. So it's like it, those people st are still there. I mean, if you look at the Oscar winners from last few years, they they are mostly smaller films like Moonlight uh, or this past year, um, you know, uh, Nomadland. Mm -hmm. That's an indie film. They're small films. They're, oh, it's always hard to find money. Look, it's not so easy to find it on the on the big studio level either if you're not a Marvel movie or a Star mm -hmm. Wars movie, you know. Um, but indie films have always been But is there, I mean, do you think indie films are still as powerful a uh, tool as they were, say, in the 90s as far as a way to break out? Um, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a case by case thing, but I think mm -hmm. that if you do, if you make a great film mm -hmm. and it doesn't cost a lot of money and it's a festival film, yeah. then you can still, you could still break out. Uh, Michael Arndt, who's one of the you know, biggest screenwriters in the business right now, mm -hmm. was the guy who wrote Little Miss Sunshine, which was a Sundance winning right. film. And it's like, you know, as a result of that, he got to work on like the Toy Story movies mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So it's like, you know, uh, you, you need some sort of proving ground to prove you've got talent. Right. So, like you said, whether you're making stuff for social media, um, you know, I, 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 we were talking a little bit earlier about how the idea is important, mm -hmm. right? And uh, certain writers think that, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen, they're not that important. It's like, right. well, 30 years of experience tells me that's absolutely not true, you need a great idea. But the idea for a movie doesn't have to come from a script. It can come from a comic book. It can come from a newspaper article. It can come a from a podcast. Park, a music park from, ride. Yeah, yeah. It can come from a amusement park ride. It can come from a song. Ode to Billy Joel yeah. Joe was turned into a movie back in the 70s. There are other ways to kind of get your great idea out there for mm -hmm. people to notice. So, you know, you should take advantage of all the different ways if you're an up-and-coming screenwriter or filmmaker because you don't know how you're going to break in. Yeah. You have no... I, my entire career has been built on serendipity, luck, and kind of like odd connections. If I trace it all back, mm -hmm. you know, you realize like how much luck plays in your life. Now, mm -hmm. super successful people never want to admit that. Right. They want to think that every every success is their own willpower and, and, and intelligence and every failure is some outside factor. But like luck plays into it. So yeah, I think uh, even Tarantino, as talented as he is, there's a lot about him getting the script out, you know, having the scripts out at just the right time with the right people, you know, I mean, or, or, or Kevin Smith, like, I don't know if Clerks would find an audience today. Yeah, who knows? You know, but 
But he, at that time, you know, they were looking for quirky stuff at the Sundance right. Film Festival, and, and Clark says virtually no, no plot. I love the movie, but, yeah. you know. Uh, it, um, but there was a quality or a sensibility about sure. that film that got him work, not mm -hmm. just as a filmmaker, but as a writer. He actually did one of the early drafts of Coyote Ugly for us. Did he really? It was a 187-page draft, <laughs> and we had to cut it down a lot, and ultimately there are only a few things from his draft that we wound yeah. up using in the final movie. But, yeah, I mean, it's like... You know, he got to write a version of Superman. Yeah. You know, started out doing like a little movie, a black and white movie, a very crude looking movie uh, in a convenience store, and he got to write Superman. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what, what is the, uh, let's see, so you started in 88. In, in, 88 is when I moved out to California, okay. and I started working for uh, Jerry Bruckheimer in 1989. 1989. So, so you've seen... A lot. <laughs> a lot, as far as, I mean, you yeah. know, I mean... You know, what, what, will you drop some names as to who? Um, yeah, I mean, early on, uh, you know, J.J. Uh, Abrams yeah. was one of the writers that we worked with at, at Bruckheimer. Did, did you see on, that Abrams had the talent that he... Yes. Yeah, yeah early, I, I have to say, like, there, there are a lot of people who have that level of success, you know, the natural instinct is to kind of, like, go, like, you know, be yeah. envious. But it's like, when he was at Bruckheimer and he was working on films like Armageddon and The Rock, yeah. he just had skill and beyond that more importantly he was a super super nice guy yeah and I, that, I think was, that goes a long way yeah i think a lot of people like val kilmer is known to be difficult um depends on who's working oh, okay, like a lot okay. of these a lot of these people it depends on who they're working yeah like, okay you talk to certain people and they're like you know this person is nice to me it's like yeah well yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you're, a, you're you're a top producer and director right it's, like, right it's how they treat the people they can't get anything from that's in well right uh, okay Known to be a little quirky, let's let's put it that way. Whereas Tom Hanks is known to be just wonderful on the set with everybody, and you know, there, I think Tom Hanks is talented as he is. He gets a lot of work because he's just known to be a super nice guy. Well, nobody wants to work yeah. with the jerks. Yeah, I mean, there are unless you're James Cameron. Uh, uh, there, there is a certain level of filmmaker who, like James Cameron, would be an example where he does things nobody else has done. Yeah. Like, he's a groundbreaking filmmaker. There yeah. are very few people you can literally say. Yeah. Groundbreaking filmmaker. He's Cameron. a groundbreaking yeah. filmmaker. Yeah. To work at that level, again, I'm not excusing people being rude just because they're talented, right? Mm. But at the level that he's working, whether it's making Titanic or Avatar, when you're doing things that nobody else has done, you do expect everybody that's working on your team to be as dedicated to it as you are. If yeah. you're not sleeping for two years, if you're working... Which apparently Cameron doesn't yeah. sleep. I mean, if, that's what I'm told, at least. If you're working those kind of crazy hours and you're willing to kill yourself mm. to make that movie, you want people along for the ride that yeah. you can trust and rely on, and yeah. you're either up for it or you're not. Like, if you don't want to do the hard work, don't be a Navy SEAL, yeah. right? So it's, uh, director-wise, I mean, who, who have you worked with that would you say is... Can you, would Tony, you Tony Scott was, was a sweetheart. Was Tony, a sweet, Tony, Tony Scott. Yeah, Tony, Tony is Ridley Scott's uh, brother. Um, you know, he directed Top Gun. Right. You know, he directed um, uh, uh, Beverly, Hills Vu, Beverly Hills Cop 2, uh, just uh, uh, Crimson Tide. Mm. Um, you know, he's just a, a great filmmaker, and real I, man's man. I, I have actually argued that I think Tony Scott was a better director than his brother. You know, I, I think they're both talented people. Yeah. They, 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 you know, they have uh, an eye. Like, like Tony had a great eye. Mm -hmm. uh, just an incredible sweetheart of a guy. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'll never forget when we were doing Deja Vu. Um, uh, it was set in New Orleans, mm -hmm. and this was right after uh, the hurricane. Yeah. 
and it was devastated. Like the, the downtown was devastated. Mm-hmm. Almost nothing was open. And uh, like I was there for pre-production, uh, you know, doing script supervision, and um, a handful of us were in a, like a major hotel downtown, and nobody was in the hotel. Wow. Nobody was in the streets. It was like a zombie apocalypse without the zombies. And so, you know, one of the first nights we got there, Tony invited me out to dinner. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. And then so it was in the hotel, which had this grand ballroom lit by candlelight because of the problems with Mm -hmm. the power and it was just me and Tony it was nobody else I thought it was maybe going to be a bunch of people and it was Tony and me in this yawning hall uh, this this ballroom uh, candlelit best cigars best wine Mm -hmm. just telling war stories for hours and I was just like this is this is what Hollywood is all about this is why people want to work in the business to get a moment like this yeah one-on-one with a great filmmaker and just talking like two people and yeah it was like from that moment on we went to one of the rap parties and you know tony was it came over and was talking to my wife and i and and he whispers to my wife's like you're too pretty for him (laughs) thanks a lot tony he's kidding but he's like he was a sweetheart, and yeah. um, un- unfortunately, he, he, he did take his own life, yeah. uh, which is sad. But um, but 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 an amazing filmmaker and a really great guy. The um, I'm curious is is to, I mean, do you is there like a, a, a litmus test that you have when you're reading a script that you go, this is going to be huge? Do you have? Do you? I mean, is there something you look for in a script that, other than the good idea, as you say? Well, it's the execution of the, the good execution. idea too. Like I said, like you know, again, a good idea is nothing else matters if you don't have the good idea. You right. have to have the good idea. Right. But like, obviously, a good idea, really well executed, is what gets you very excited. Right. Um, when I was the first person at the company to read Pirates of the Caribbean, when the Disney executives sent the project over for Jerry's consideration. Right. And, you know, the first instinct everybody has at that point is like, okay, a movie based on a theme park ride. Oh, and it's a pirate movie, which, which hasn't been successful which, enough. Yeah, Roger Ebert had warned, right. and, 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 and even said, the worst kind of film you can make, make is, is a pirate film, because they're always yeah. going to bomb. Correct. Yeah. And so, like, there was no precedent for success. Yeah. They had made other theme park uh, ride movies that had not been successful. Yeah. So the script came over. It's like you know, I, I and I'm I'm the first line of defense at our company. Yeah. I read everything coming in. Yeah. So it's like I'm that guy. Yeah. So I, I knew the script was coming over, and it, like everybody else, I'm like, Ugh, you know, not looking forward to reading this, the Pirates of the Caribbean script. And I was wrong. <laughs> like yeah. I read the script, and you know, after I'm done reading the screenplay, I went in. And I said, you guys are all going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> But we're gonna we're gonna make this movie and it's gonna be huge. And of course, everybody's like, "Yeah, right." Whose vision was it to to uh, visionary idea was it to cast Johnny Depp? I mean, it um, seems like so much of that film was just the way Jerry. Jerry. You know, I mean, here's the thing: if you look, one of the reasons Jerry is such a uh, legendary director is look whose careers Jerry made. Yeah. Tom Cruise, Will Smith, Ben Affleck. Nick Cage, Johnny Depp. I mean, it's like the biggest movie stars in the world sure. cut their teeth in Jerry Bruckheimer mm-hmm. films. Yeah. Originally, I'll give you an example, Nick Cage. Yeah. Nick Cage uh, had been an indie 
film guy mm -hmm. before he was up for The Rock. Mm -hmm. Now, he wasn't the first choice for The Rock. One of the first choices for The Rock was Chris O'Donnell. You remember Chris O'Donnell? Oh, yeah. Chris O'Donnell was Robin in, in some of Robin. the Batman yeah, movies. Yeah. Yes. You know, and um, at the time, he was huge. And his representatives just asked for too much money for Chris O'Donnell. Priced him out of the movie. Mm -hmm. So, in Earth 2, Chris O'Donnell is the star of The Rock. But in this world, it was Nick Cage. And as a result, Nick Cage was in a giant movie called The Rock with Sean Connery. By the way, Sean Connery, not the first choice. Warren really? Beatty, Tommy Lee Jones, like a lot of other really? people who passed That's interesting. before we got to Sean Connery. And then when Sean Connery got on board, he's the one that came up with the backstory about being the, the, the British secret agent and all that kind of stuff and, and brought creative elements that really made that movie work. Yeah. And, you know, you can't imagine it now with anybody but Sean Connery. Yeah. But that was the thing. Nick Cage became a huge star after that. Yeah. Um, you know, Ben Affleck had been in Goodwill Hunting, but you sure. put him in Armageddon, which is a giant movie, yeah. suddenly he's Ben Affleck, the movie star. What's a, what's a script that you read that you just said, no, this is not going to work, but it ended up working? Can you, can you name a that, project? That, 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 that I said it wasn't going to work and it ended up working? That you, yeah, that you felt that was not it was not a good idea, but it maybe it went forward anyway, and uh, ended up being a huge success. I can think of casting decisions like that. Okay, like mean Heath, Heath Ledger as the Joker would yeah. be an example of like yeah. when I heard that casting choice, I was like Heath Ledger, mm -hmm. what? Right, and right. then I was swiftly proven incredibly wrong. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, that can happen. Script wise, not so much. Again, because. The process of uh, the kind of we're so picky mm -hmm. in terms of the movies that we pick that like if it's not a great idea right and if it's not you know really well executed it's not going anywhere mm -hmm. you know it's just it's really not so um, it's a little harder on that uh, have there been again other other choices on other films that I've seen yeah there have been films that I didn't think were gonna be great that somehow Jojo Rabbit would be an example of a yeah. movie that shouldn't work if you, if you pitch me the story to Jojo Rabbit yeah. surely I got a great idea it's like this little Nazi youth kid 10 years old <laughs> and, and, and Adolf Hitler is his adorable imaginary friend and he like finds out that there's a young Jew living in his attic and they, and they he befriends her I'm like those elements no there's no way that movie is going to work yeah. as a mainstream studio film. And, by the way, it's not a mainstream studio film. It's more of an indie film. Yeah. But, like, that would be an example of it shouldn't work. Mm -hmm. But it does. And yeah. there, are, there are some movies that surprise you that way. And that I'm glad, right? When the, uh, what comes to my mind is when I read the original draft of Scream. Of Scream. Okay. Yeah, the yeah. Ken Williamson uh, project. And, cause, Talk about a dynamite opening for a script. Oh, oh amazing. Amazing script. I, it, it, very rarely do I sit down and read things straight through. And, and I had to read that all the way through the first time I had it in my hands. Yeah. But then, see, what's interesting to me about it was, I, when, when spoiler alert, guys, uh, when, you, when you find out who the killer is, in the, when I read it on paper, I felt shortchanged. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I kind of felt like, well, that was just a gimmick. It was just, you led me along this way for so long and everything. But it worked when it was, when it was actually in the movies, you know, when, when they yeah. actually filmed it, 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 it delivered. Yeah. But, but uh, 
Because there's, there's, I mean, and there've been, I guess what I'm driving at is there've been things that you've read on paper that surprised you when it actually came out. Yeah, because there are so many, again, there are so many ways that a movie, obviously the blueprint is the script. Yeah. But, you know, the performances, the music, the yeah. direction, the, 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 the editing, there are so many the other, yeah. yeah, so many other elements of the, it's a, it's a, it's a group Mm-hmm. project yeah. <laughs> making a film like yes the producer puts the team together the writer comes up with the idea the director oversees the visuals but like it takes a village yeah. to make a movie yeah. of course there are some filmmakers like Cameron that we were just mentioning who's like the writer director producer cinematographer editor like there are a few people you know Robert Rodriguez will do that sometimes uh, Chris Nolan will do that that's rare though yeah that's rare I read uh, I got a friend who uh uh, who works on the special effects of Avatar? Yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, he was saying that it's it's it, Cameron is you admire his dedication, but he's kind of like the worst nightmare in the world to work with because mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to sleep, ever. Yeah. And he'll wander in the the editing room at 3 a.m. and wonder why no one else is there working. You know that kind right. of, that kind of thing. You um, expect everybody to have that yeah. level of dedication that you're you know, exactly. dedicating. Yeah. yeah. But in contrast, he, he said that Spielberg is like very laid back about things where Cameron's like real intense you know different different uh, temperaments yeah yeah I mean look again there are certain directors who are monsters Mm -hmm. Uh, and again I'm I hate to say I'm much more willing to accept that if their films are brilliant Mm -hmm. but like on some level yeah you you you, you have to detach the material from the person sometimes I agree yeah Uh, and then there are people who are like like Ron Howard yeah. is known as like being one of the nicest guys in Hollywood and, but he's an incredibly talented filmmaker and director what, I, I, again what, 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 just great little moment for me anecdote was like our offices used to be in the um, animation building at Disney mm-hmm. like right when you first walked into yeah, the animation yeah. building it's, a, it's a, a cool office and I was walking to you know go to my car at the end of the day once and there was like this uh, older man who was walking in front of me uh, and got to the door and he was way ahead of me but he kept the door open for me much earlier than one would expect rather right, than right. just walking through it. And as I got closer to see who the, the gentleman was who kept the door open for me, it was Henry Winkler. It was the oh, really? And he <laughs> smiled at me and I was like, oh, thank you so much. And, you know, just like the Fonz kept the door open for me when he didn't need to do that. He yeah. was way ahead of me. And it's like, that's who Henry Winkler is. That's why Henry Winkler is successful. That's why people want to work with Henry Winkler. That's why he's still working in the business now. Yeah, I, I, I have a similar situation with uh, George Clooney because I was working out at Warner Brothers uh, at the Drew Carey show and ER was shooting almost right next door. And me being just the biggest goober in the world, uh, Clooney walked by me one day and I just went, hey, I know you, you're from Kentucky. Because, you know, and, and probably... Anybody else, any other actor uh, on the sta- on the level of Clooney could have had yeah. him banned from the lot. <laughs> you know? But he stopped. He turned around, shook his hand, uh, shook my hand, and said, "Yeah, I'm George. Nice to meet you." And and the fact that he actually said, "I'm George," right? You know, when I know who he is, and right. then we talked about Kentucky for a little bit, right. and you, I kind of went, "Well, that's George Clooney for you. He's right. he's a nice guy. He's yeah. you know very appreciative." And, that, and that's success. and that's what determines. Like again, it's a moment in time. It's a snapshot. It's yeah. just a little thing. Yeah. But certain, you know, certain talent handles that better than others. And, and sometimes, again, you're just having a terrible day. You yeah. might be meeting somebody on the worst day possible, and you don't yeah. know it. And, like, that's why you, you know, you cut people. You try to cut people as much of a break, or you should. Yeah. 
as you can. No, no, because, no, like you never know; they could be having their worst day ever, and yeah. you know you just met them in that at that flashpoint. Yeah. Where you just assume they're always a jerk. Mm. Yeah. Not always, but like in mm. that moment, they were, and yeah. that that makes it, if your first impression is that. Yeah. That's what you're going to think. Well, I want to talk a little, just a little bit about the state of the industry right now, and then yeah. I want to talk about what you're doing sure. uh, these days. Um, the first, the big question is, because Top Gun Maverick was supposed to come out last February, I yes. think it was. Or last uh, well, last, last, uh, last summer. Last summer. Okay, yeah. yeah. Right. So it's been put off, and yeah. when, when is it coming out now? Uh, it's uh, like right before Thanksgiving of this year, November. So, have have you guys been shooting during the whole COVID thing? Did you? No, no we were way, way done by that point. Uh, the movie was well, not was, not not that, but I mean, in, oh, 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 projects and like other projects. Yeah, not for a while, and mm -hmm. then uh, once you know COVID compliance became a thing, mm -hmm. gradually, yes. But COVID compliance, uh, you know, took a while to kind of get up and running. Yeah, and then it it, it added a lot of expense, like hundreds of thousands of dollars really? to like TV shows and movie. Yeah, it was like mm -hmm. a huge expense because everybody had to be tested every single day and you need to be people to keep track of all that there had to be special conditions for craft services and for every aspect of shooting it was really hard like i mean that's why the everybody shut down and so did film and television for a big chunk yeah. of time until we figured out how to do it now it, it was there like um did Jerry sit down and go, okay, guys, we've got to figure out how we can start making movies again? Or was there I mean, everybody, like everybody was everybody was pushing for that, but it was like you needed the infrastructure to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like no one production company was really going to be able to sort of figure it out. It right. kind of became like a collective effort yeah. uh, that everybody was like, well, how do we do this? How can we do this? We're literally creating a new infrastructure from scratch right. that are going to allow us to be making these films. And, you know, early on you were hearing that, like, you know, Mission Impossible and the new Jurassic Park were some of the first films that mm -hmm. were trying to like get up and running. And then there were start and stop problems with some of them where they like started, but then they had to stop and they would put everybody on a cruise ship or put everybody in a hotel. And it was just these giant pods. And yeah. eventually there was enough hit or miss or trial and error yeah. where they, you know, came up with a, with a system to do it. Do you think now that there was the shutdown on the industry for a while, and now that everything's back and running and now the vaccine's out and stuff like that, do you see, like, the nature of the business changing at all now? Or is it, or is it going to be just a huge group of uh, films produced now? I mean, what, what, is, what is the fate of, of what, what, the industry? What, 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 what do things look like on the other side of COVID? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, like everything else, gradually people will come back to theaters because it's like mm -hmm. you're still going to want to go out and do something on a Friday or Saturday night. Yeah. You're going to just want to be a shut-in But is the, the industry, though, is the industry, um, do you think there's going to be a hunger fest uh, of material from material? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that you're already sort of seeing that where, mm -hmm. where you know, there are the streamers, uh, Netflix, Apple, Amazon, yeah. are spending more and more money tens of billions of dollars every single year mm. for material. So the, the, the need for content has never been greater. It yeah. just hasn't been. You know, we, 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 we now have, I want to say, close to, if not more than 600 different TV series. That's insane. I mean, you couldn't possibly watch them all if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, and so tons of that. And again, because you have, I, I think I read that like the new Lord of the Rings series on Amazon, million, five hundred million dollars, yeah, like half a billion dollars being spent on a TV series Insane. for one season. I seem to recall like a hundred million for Game of Thrones for a season was mm -hmm. like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and now we're up to half a billion from Amazon. Yeah. By the way. You know, making content is not Amazon's first business or mm -hmm. biggest business. It's a sideline to what Amazon does. Yeah. It's just like 
you know, you, you sign on to Amazon Prime and you can get your toothpaste delivered the same day or tomorrow. <laughs> and in addition to that, you're going to get, gonna get you a Lord, Lord of the Rings TV series yeah. that we spare no expense on. So it's kind of a golden era yeah. for that. But TV series uh, seasons have shortened dramatically. Mm -hmm. In the old days, if you looked at uh, seasons of the Munsters, there'd be 39 episodes of the Munsters in one season. Right. Now you've got seasons that are like 13 episodes, 10 episodes, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is six episodes. Mm -hmm. They're shrinking, they're shrinking, they're shrinking. Yeah. So it's like, again, the good news is there's never been more work for writers. Mm -hmm. The bad news is the writing gigs are shorter. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you used to be on like a network show in the 90s and they mm -hmm. did like 22, 24 episodes of a show, mm -hmm. you're getting paid for all those episodes. If that suddenly shrunk down to 10 or 8 episodes, you know, you're, not, you're just not making as much money. Now, TV writers still make a great deal of money. Right. I'm just saying like, the money they were making back in the day compared to now mm -hmm. is a lot less. But somebody's making all that money. <laughs> Somebody, it's just not the writers, it's just not the directors. It's right. Sometimes it's the actors, but less so even the actors now. Somebody's making all that money. Jerry, Jerry. Who knows? Somebody's making all that money. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you, you're also a writer, you said. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the benefits uh, of being a development executive, is all, uh, a development executive for the past 30 plus years, has been that I've also been a screenwriter mm -hmm. uh, and and setting up projects, you know, not just at the company that I work at, but at companies around town, Disney and MGM and Sony and, you know. How many scripts um, have you written? Uh, written? Yeah. Uh, 36 or 37. Wow. Which is not as many as many writers because I have sure. a full-time job. Yeah. Um, I've sold about a dozen projects over the years. Mm -hmm. And they've come in all forms, from finished screenplays to verbal pitches to treatments. Mm -hmm. uh, I've written original material, adaptations of comic books. Uh, I've been a script doctor on, on, on many of our movies, from uh, Dangerous Minds and Bad Boys to The Rock and G-Force. Mm -hmm. um, so I've done a little bit of everything, and I think that's a super rarity. Like, it's already, being a development executive in Hollywood is already a rarity. Right. Being a development executive in Hollywood who also writes screenplays mm -hmm. and sells screenplays is even more rare. Yeah. And uh, being able to see it from those different perspectives, sure. I think have, have really helped me over the years working with uh, the filmmakers and the writers that I have because I understand the struggle because mm -hmm. I'm doing it too. Yeah. And that's not true of all development executives. So I think that that's uh, helped me kind of like connect with them in ways that have helped get the best out of them for projects. And you are actually uh, going to be start lending your talents out in a way uh, to other people. Yeah, um, uh, you know, after 30 years, I've, I'm now spending uh, more time on sort of like uh, developing, creating, and mm -hmm. producing my own material. But as a side hustle, um, I've launched uh, a new uh, script consulting service called Script Genius. And because uh, I've always loved working with um, aspiring screenwriters, I've right. spoken at the American Film Institute and various colleges, and um, I just the energy and to see the, the, the talent bubbling up is fantastic. Um, but like, you know, I'm going to try to be the kind of person that I wish existed for me when I was starting out as yeah. a screenwriter. Um, you know, most young screenwriters don't have access to uh, a professional film executive. There are, it, it is, speaking as a former screenwriter, it, 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 is, it is an amazing industry of people out there to consult for scripts. And what's really fascinating to me is 
so few have the kind of qualifications you have. Yeah, uh, that's kind of one of the reasons I kind of wanted to do it. Yeah, too. like yeah. Um, I, I've, uh, I'm on Facebook and I interact with young screenwriters, and you, you see very quickly how many script consultants there are out there. Mm -hmm. And then when you look behind the curtain to see who they are, what they've done, what their track record is, what kind of recommendation yeah, they've yeah. gotten, you start to realize you don't need a license to be a script consultant. Um, yeah, and, and and they're you know they're charging a good amount to these new up and coming screenwriters mm -hmm. and I'm like you know I think we can do better than that yeah and so I think that's why I'm sort of throwing my hat into the ring like because I'm developing my own projects um, you know my, my time is limited so in mm -hmm. terms of the, the the number of people I'm going to be able to work with you know I, I, I it will be somewhat limited but um, but for people who are sort of serious about the craft and people yeah. who are um, you know looking to get the best possible professional feedback and guidance to get their material industry ready mm -hmm. and there is a process to do that um, I wanted to make myself available and um, I'm really really looking forward to it I've uh, you know uh, I just started a little while ago and one of my first clients was a, a nickel fellowship winning screenwriter oh, really? who uh, you know has created a TV series uh, who uh, wrote like hit thrillers uh, was a showrunner on a uh, on one of the Lego shows and you know he had a, a TV Bible that he was working on that he needed feedback on and I was you know happy to jump in and help him and uh, you know it worked out great and um, so what's, what's interesting to me is I've actually seen script readers or script consultants with less credits than your client <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah I mean you know that's that's the case and you know uh, I think people are coming at it uh, from all different levels you know new, yeah. newbies who are just starting out who haven't written anything mm. people who have been at it for a while I mean like anything it takes some time to learn the form and, and the structure and to get comfortable with it and and uh, the more you do it the better you get like again you you have to have you have to start out with a great idea but one of the key things is you have to sit down and do it. Yeah. And that's always the hardest part, whether it's yeah. going to the gym for the first time or whatever it is. It's like starting, right? You mm -hmm. know, is is the hardest part. Like um, I recently did a um, um, a rewrite for a project. It was mm -hmm. it was based on a on a Japanese uh, anime and manga from the 1990s. And um, when I was writing stuff over many years, like I, I was trying to fit it into evenings and weekends. I work work, work with partners. But like this is something that actually had a deadline. Like I, I had to get it done because the rights, you know, were sort of uh, expiring. So I had to do it in an abbreviated time period. I'm like, okay, well, how? Let's let's put our minds to this. How do we do this? Right. And I just said, okay, every day, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to write three to four pages. If I could do that over a month, do the math, I'll have a first draft. Now I made right. sure I was starting from a a pretty strong outline mm -hmm. and again my outline's not 30 40 pages it's right. like you know four or five pages of the beats of act one act two act three so i knew what i was writing i knew what the roadmap was right very important too one have a great idea two have a great outline before you start writing so you don't get lost in the weeds um but as a result of that i was able to write three to four pages a day within a month i had a full first draft spent a couple of weeks polishing it mm -hmm. and then sent it off and it's like you can do that yeah. but yeah first you have to watch a lot of movies, read a lot of screenplays, get familiar with the format, make sure that you're using like, you know, an actual script program like Final Draft or something that's going to help 
you know, take away the concern about formatting because it'll do that for you. Mm -hmm. And um, and if you can do that, then you'd be amazed what you can do. But but having a good mentor, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like I, I, I see myself as like almost like a script therapist or a script coach. Yeah. That I'll be working with people and sort of helping uh, figure out like what's the story you want to tell. Mm -hmm. You know, let's find the best idea that you have. Let's right. like fine tune it and engineer it to make it as strong and dynamic as possible. Then let's try to figure out. How do we structure this? Let's, what's the strongest structure to make sure that when you sit down to actually write those pages, you know what you're going to write. Now, again, you know, your outline should be flexible. So mm -hmm. it's like you roughly know what you're going to do from scene to scene. Right. But, you know, you can change it along the way. You, sure. There's flexibility. There, you should be able to do that. And I, I've done that. And, and uh, you don't want it to be so rigid mm -hmm. that you, like, lose any sense of creativity. But, frankly, there's a lot of creativity once mm -hmm. you sit down and write pages. There's dialogue and there's stage direction and there's mood and there's mm -hmm. pacing. And you're going to figure out all that stuff when you when you get down to that straight stage of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, we're going to pause for Ryan's question. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, Ryan is my my ten year old son. Ten year old son. And uh, his question is this, and I, I don't write the questions. Right? Okay. So Ryan wanted to know. Hey Charlie, my dad is a screenwriter. Can you help him get a movie made? I can help. I can help his dad get his movie made if he have a, has a great idea, executes it to the best of his ability, and since we're friends, his daddy has a connection. In the business. That's true. So, That's so true. yes, we can we can do we can see what we can do about that. Well, I think Ryan will be pleased. <laughs> <laughs> Love Ryan. Uh, okay, so uh, how can someone find out about reaching out to you about uh, working with you? Well, I'm working on a, a website right now that'll be um, script-genius at uh, gmail.com. Uh, mm. Oh wait, no. Is that right? No, that's my email address. Okay. Sorry. It'll be it'll be script-genius. Dot com, okay. I believe, okay. uh, but we'll follow up with show notes or something. Okay. And um, uh, so there'll be a website, mm -hmm. and the website will include, um, uh, you know, what services are available and yeah. the cost. There'll be video content. Uh, there will be, um, you'll be able to see recommendations from industry friends and colleagues, some of the top people in the business who I've worked with. Uh, there'll be uh, podcasts that I'll be working on, mm -hmm. so I'll be posting podcasts. And one of the things I want to do um, is I, I have this creative tool called, a, I call it a movie deck, but basically it's a huge deck of like cards that have random uh, topics on them that are, you know, things that movies have been made from. Right. Uh, and they could be, you know, a word like betrayal mm -hmm. or uh, a flying saucer or, uh, um, you know, relationship. Uh, 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 siblings, and so it's a, two, it's a siblings that have a romance on a spaceship. Yeah, it could be that. And so you take three of the cards at random from the yeah. movie deck, yeah. and it's your your brain has to stitch them together yeah. into a logline or a movie idea. Yeah. So the idea for some of the podcasts is going to be like the sixty minute movie, where we're going to take three cards out at random, and then you'll have a couple of screenwriters get in there, and you'll see the creative process of how you know a movie idea actually develops. And um, uh, there will be um, something called the writer's room that we're putting together where people can come there and we're going to like build a little community where nice. whatever your topic is, it could be about the business in yeah. general, it could be about a genre, mm -hmm. comedy, science fiction, fantasy, there'll be a writer's room for right. you to go into and talk to like-minded people, That's maybe great. find a writing partner, maybe mm -hmm. find some support. Um, so it'll be a lot of this stuff, but um, it's in the works, it's evolving, very excited about it, and uh, yeah, can't wait to start working with some uh, screenwriters 
on the next big ideas that are going to be the best next big movies in Hollywood. They got to come from somewhere. Well, Might as well come true. from you. Well, not me. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, Stephen. You really never know. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, before we go, yeah. I just, I, I, you had talk, we had talked about doing a podcast with a, uh, Mr. Joe Messina. Yeah. Do you want to throw it down right now to, to Joe about uh, what you're going to do here? Joe, uh, you're a fellow Paisan. You're from Brooklyn, where my daughter goes to college. You and I uh, had a very similar upbringing in terms of our, like, you know, uh, family cultures. But we disagree on certain matters. And I would love to get together with you on Stephen's show and go toe-to-toe and discuss some of the pressing issues of the day. And I hope you'll accept this invitation. All right. So you're throwing down. The gauntlet's been thrown down. <laughs> That's so. a very very civil gauntlet to yeah. my friend Joe Messina. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun, Charlie. I, I, it was I, a blast, Stephen. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's always I, fun. I, I can't recommend you more that, uh, as, as far as uh, somebody who knows scripts and knows what they're doing. So uh, it's It's been fun, and it, and it continues to be fun i just i really enjoy it yeah yeah and uh, you got how many projects in development right now a number i have um i have a buddy comedy that i'm working on with uh the producer of uh hocus pocus child's play and american tale um i have uh, as i mentioned the adaptation of this japanese anime Mm -hmm. with a company that's affiliated with alibaba the big chinese uh company yeah um right now i just finished a new uh, christmas themed romantic comedy that is out to producers that I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, um, uh, one of those scripts that I was able to use this method to get done in a very short period of time. Right. And uh, right now I'm working on a uh, kind of a horror action thriller uh, that is going to be a lot of fun with uh, a writing partner, friends of mine. Uh, and uh, right after that, I'm going to be working on uh, a couple of TV pilots, uh, some high concept. TV pilots that would be perfect for some of the streaming services. So I don't think you're busy enough. Uh, and in the in the middle of all that, I'll be I'll be helping to uh, work with some young screenwriters. <laughs> so my dance card is going to be very full. But yeah, yeah, I love it. Do you, uh, do you can you do a, give us your best evil laugh, evil villain laugh? <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. And do you have a joke for us? Uh, yeah, uh, this is one of my favorite. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, dad jokes. Okay. <clears throat> What do you call cheese that isn't yours? I don't know. What? Nacho cheese. <laughs> Love Brilliant. it. It's clean, but it's funny. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Charlie. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate it. And uh, we'll be looking for your name up, up in the theater's uh, credits very soon. So. Thank you, Stephen. Take care. Okay. We hope you guys enjoyed the talk. You've been listening to the Talk of Santa Clarita. Listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud.com, YouTube, and Stitcher. Barring a life event getting in the way, a new podcast is available every Tuesday. Questions, comments, and show ideas can be sent to thetalkofsantaclarita at gmail.com. You can also call or text us at 661-505-8672. That's 661-505-8672. 8672. Follow us on Twitter at The Talk of SC or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Talk of Santa Clarita. 
You can also visit our website by going to www.thetalkofsantaclarita.com. This has been a production of Radio Free Santa Clarita Incorporated, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To donate, go to radiofreesantaclarita.org slash donate. Radio Free Santa Clarita, on the net and on the air, and we're very much aware. Any questions?